You are listening to Galgo FM, the voice for the Galgo. My name is Christoph Richter and I will be speaking to people that take a stand against hunting with dogs in Spain. Hello and thanks for tuning in. Welcome to episode number four. It is February 2022. The hunting season just ended and the process of public discussion about the draft for a new Animal Welfare Act in Spain is closed. In the coming six minutes you will hear a letter that was sent from the European Parliament to the Spanish government in March 2021. Moonleaks.org and Yogalgo have participated in research and redaction of this document. In this episode I talked to Geray Lopez Portillo, the creator of the impressive documentary Yogalgo and the founder of Moonleaks.org. But first, please listen to the letter. Brussels, the 11th of March 2021. Open letter on the welfare of hunting dogs in Spain. On behalf of the European Parliament Intergroup on the welfare and conservation of animals, we are writing to express our concern regarding the welfare of hunting dogs in Spain. Article 13 of the Lisbon Treaty requires EU member states to adapt their national legislation to recognize the animals as sentient beings and to take this into account in future policy initiatives. We are particularly concerned by the slow progress in introducing and implementing animal welfare laws in Spain regarding galgos and other hunting dogs. While the awareness and the need for effective environmental and animal welfare protection is increasing across the Spanish society, the development of animal welfare laws and policies has not kept at pace with this trend. The treatment of galgos and other hunting dogs in Spain is a particularly acute example. The responsibility for most animal protection legislation and its application lies with the 17 autonomous communities, leading to a diverse set of regulations which are difficult to enforce. One consequence is that Spain has the highest incidence of abandoned dogs in the European Union, with over 180,000 dogs being rescued in 2019 alone. Official figures are in stark contrast, however, reporting eight abandoned galgos in 2019. We view the treatment of hunting dogs in Spain in contradiction with European values, and do not see the justification for the difference in protection granted to pets as companions from that granted to galgos and other hunting dogs as working animals. This distinction diminishes markedly their level of protection, denying them the status of sentient beings recognized in Article 13, which, among other things, requires them to be kept in reasonable conditions and free from all unnecessary suffering, including abandonment and mistreatment by their owners. It is worth noting in this context that in the rest of the European Union, hunting with dogs in open fields, in the modality without human aid, is prohibited by law in view of the cruelty it causes. This contrasts with laws and practices in Spain which actively encourage the pursuit, even to the extent of granting subsidies to organizations involved in promoting the hunting with galgos and other hunting dogs. We therefore recommend that urgent consideration be given to the need for a unified animal protection law covering the whole of Spanish territory. Renewed legal measures are needed in the areas of breeding, identification and registration, enforcement through exemplary fines and custodial sentences in extreme cases of animal cruelty, and the creation of systematic policing controls with the provision of adequate resources. Moreover, the legislation has permitted 85.6% of common and private land to be reserved for the hunting community, which represents only 1.6% of the population having hunting licenses. During the 2020 COVID-19 lockdown, hunters, alone among other outdoor leisure activities, were exempted from the restrictions applying to the rest of the population, which resulted in 52 fatalities and some 600 people injured. For this reason, we respectfully request the Spanish government and its relevant agencies to recognize and respect the right of the 98.4% of non-hunting population to enjoy and interact with nature and the environment in a peaceful manner, unhindered by a disproportionate and exclusive allocation of land for hunting purposes. We further call for reinforcement, support and due recognition of the work of animal welfare protection agencies and their personnel 
agentes forestales, who have declared themselves to feel unprotected against hunters on numerous occasions. Their inadequate number means that hunters can carry out their activities largely immune from any legal requirements aimed at preventing cruelty. In the Annex, we list a number of concrete measures which we consider a unified animal protection law should include and trust that the Spanish government will take due notice of this letter. Annex. Suggested animal protection measures. 1. Increased control of public pounds and rescue centres run by private entities without a legal framework to regulate them. 2. Increased support, resources and training for police forces, autonomous communities and municipalities in the fight against abandonment of dogs. 3. The treatment of hunting as a private affair and thus ineligible to direct or indirect public subsidies at either state, regional or local levels. This implies not recognizing the activities as cultural or sporting in nature, making its federations and associations ineligible to subsidies from government, sports or cultural authorities. 4. The group of hunting dogs called realas should cease to be declared an object of cultural interest. Current laws on breeding and EU Platform on Animal Welfare Responsible Breeding Guidelines should be applied so as not to discriminate against hunting dogs. 5. Transparency in all matters relating to subsidies to organisations related to the hunting activity. 6. The implementation of an animal welfare education programme in schools to promote empathy in childhood. As I said before, Moonleaks.org and Yogalgo had a large share on researching for this letter. Jarai Lopez Portillo stands behind Moonleaks.org and Yogalgo. He's a Spanish living in Denmark, a graphic designer, filmmaker, producer, and above all, a nature lover. His work is dedicated to planet Earth. What Jarai does for the Galgos is very important, and he comes up to my wish list of interview partners just in the moment I thought about a wish list. I'm very pleased to have Jarai for an interview. Hi, Jarai. I'm very happy to have you on my podcast. Thank you very much, Christoph. It is a pleasure being here. I just introduced you and, of course, your film Yo Galgo was mentioned. In my opinion, everybody who gives a Galgo a home should know this documentary. So first, let's talk about the film a little bit. When did the film come out and what has changed since you did this very important documentary? Well, thank you very much for mentioning that piece of work that I did for a long time, actually. It took me more than four years. It premiered on December 2018. So right at the end of that year, we came out with the help of a big community around the project. As I have mentioned many times before, It's been thanks to the people that we made this film, actually. We crowdfunded with them, and thanks to them, we translated the film to more than, well, I think it is 13 languages already. And, of course, it's been the community, the one connecting the movie with lawmakers, other activist groups. So it's been a journey. I learned a lot about my own country while doing the film, and, of course, about Galgos and their plight. So when the film came out, I thought that it was the best tool that I could develop to actually help these animals and other animals as well, because the film also talks about the meat industry, briefly about the horse or the hare. Uh, so yeah, it's a whole universe of causes that need attention somehow. Did I understand it correctly that you didn't know before about the plight of the Galgos? I knew a little bit, but the Galgo, when I was a child, was a very rare sight. You didn't see Galgos really in the city. It was something from the rural areas. So whenever you saw a Galgo, it was scared and thin, and of course it had been adopted. So for me, it was this kind of mysterious creature. I knew about them. But I didn't know how deep the story went. I didn't know that, for instance, we have more than 400,000 galgos in Spain, that every year thousands of them are discarded because they 
don't serve any longer to their owners. But the story goes deeper because it relates with how we cope with violence, for instance, in the rural areas, how much people know there and don't speak up, how much pressure the women actually caring for these animals get from the hunting community, how much money it moves. So it is not just about the dog and, of course, the violence against it. It is also about land ownership and so many other things that I didn't know about my country. In fact, after the movie, we had a daughter and I had been fighting, you know, these kind of macho dominated, uh, I don't know how to put it, you know, it's really tough to see women out there work so hard and get so much pressure from their male peers that somehow the movie for me was like a decisive moment in which we decided to move back to Denmark. So for me, it's been a journey back and forth. The film took me back to Spain. And after the film, I thought, okay, let's keep on fighting from abroad. So a lot of our efforts are being put into communicating this to other political parties that care for animals or to the European Parliament. So yeah, I'm from Spain and it's been a discovery, all this. When were you born in Spain so that we have an idea when your knowing of Galgo started? I'm from 79. The Galgo dates back centuries. It was something for the rich back in the days. Only nobility could own Galgos back then. So you either had to be of noble birth or own lands. But then with Franco, the dictator that was in power for 40 years, hunting with dogs became like this huge thing. And all the arrangements that were put in place before changed. So it became more popular. And actually the whole landscape changed. And now Spain, I think, dedicates 86% of its territory to hunting. So that is a huge part of the land. And that changed with Franco. So, of course, I'm 42 years old now. I knew about hunting. That is everywhere. Every weekend you hear gunshots out there if you are on a bike or just walking around. So hunting was always a presence there. But then, thanks to the movie, I realized that all this land and all these power and rights are being given to a quite tiny minority of the population. You have to think that only 1.6% of the inhabitants of Spain have uh, hunting licenses, and many of them are not active. So, okay, I knew about the Galgo, I knew about hunting, but I didn't know what it really meant. You're living now in Denmark. When did you go to Denmark? Uh, we moved back to Denmark in 2018 right before the movie premiered. We lived in Denmark before. My wife is Danish and we've been together for 16 years. So we lived in Madrid, Barcelona, Costa Rica, Denmark, back to Madrid. And then when the movie was almost done and we had Uma, our daughter, we decided to come back. And that is not easy, let me tell you. You know, being a foreigner in a land this cold and this dark in the winter with a language that somehow I cannot learn or it is very hard, doesn't come easy. So whenever someone is asked to move, that comes with luggage. Anyhow, we moved here in 2018. And since then, we've been communicating the plight of the Galgo any way we can. What feedback did or still do you get about the film? We got Great comments, actually. I mean, the movie was nominated in Hollywood for Best Music. We won the Humane Society Award, the Genesis Award for Outstanding Film. It's been watched in more than 52 countries. We've put the film so people could watch it for free various times. And it has always had like good reviews. The thing I believe working the best here is that I could somehow balance the hardship of the story with beautiful images, music, and somewhat a neutrality there. So while I was shooting, I was very curious. And my intention was not to look for villains and to portray people in a bad light, but really to understand why 
they do what they do, because it is way more complex than just seeing a man hitting a dog. It is cultural, and one has to wonder what could have happened to us had we been born in these villages. So it is not always easy. I found bad people and good people. Everywhere I went, and sometimes it was very, very hard to not be a hunter in some places. It is quite weird. So my intention was to really understand the story. So I mean, I was getting threats before the movie premiered from the hunting community. We had our platforms full of people just wanting my head, and then the film came out, and nothing really happened. So I think even. Hunters understand that this has to stop, that this has to change, and I hope that the film also made some of them see the need for them to speak about those other hunters who who are abusers. So we are very very happy. I mean, I could not have made it without the people around me, around us, without. Instagram or Facebook or many journalists like you, you know, wanting to know more. So I think you know, in this case, this documentary can be a, a tool for understanding what needs to happen and hopefully, you know, unite the opinion around a topic that's uh, well overdue. Yeah, absolutely. It's a very important. Piece of work and an impressive documentary, I think, because you made it not to put a bad light, how you say, on the people, but you're showing the cultural context, and that's important to understand what stands behind this whole thing. It's not just abusing dogs; it's more. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right there. And for me, I mean, I lived with hunters. I stayed in their houses. I have to thank the ones who participated in this film because without them, this story would not have happened. And I don't think there is any other film about the Galgos that goes this deep. Not because the story isn't interesting enough, but the possibilities of getting accepted are very, very few. I mean, I had a dog. I had bacalao. I studied a film about the Spanish guitar and the gypsy culture, and the gypsies are the ones who are thought to be stealing the galgos. So I had some contacts there, and it was pure luck, and it was thanks to Bacalao that I was in. So I stayed there for four years, and after this, I don't think hunters will be as open because they were like they were wanting to tell this story. It was like their mythical tale somehow, you know. They thought that I would make their activity grandiose and loved by everyone. And I was just there witnessing what was going on. So I really have to thank everyone here for their patience and for just letting me in. So I really need to point that out because it is very easy to, to just see, you know, someone hurting a dog and not think about What we do, actually, what kind of food we eat. I mean, all those other things are, are also, you know, damaging to others, but maybe not as direct. So, yeah, for me, that was the most important thing to use the story as a vessel to think about our relationship with other animals, too. I wondered about how do you get access to the Gaigeros and how was it possible to talk to them? Uh, what did you tell them about what you are doing? I was very honest and, you know, not all of the people that I met are in the movie because you need characters, you need someone who is relatable, you need someone who has something special there. So I stayed in that world for four years. Whenever people ask me, why don't you put the movie for free? They don't really understand how much effort is being put into this. I haven't even paid the music yet, but that aside, What I told them was like the truth. I want to make the final film about Galgos. I want to understand this. I was having like this identity crisis when I came back to Spain. I was living abroad. And then I was looking for every excuse to go back to my culture. And this is what I found. So that 
came with some disappointment, I should say as well. But I was having this identity crisis. I wanted to understand a little bit more about something that had always been there in my country. So I was very honest and they were very welcoming. Not all of them, of course, you know, I went to the darkest places. I got involved into, well, not involved, but I was curious about, for instance, the use from the fighting dog circles of Galgos, because Galgos are also used as sparrings there. So I got a lead and I tried to be there. Then it was too dangerous. Then I got this guy wanted to talk. So, And also the research we made. I didn't want to populate, you know, the film with data. I wanted it to be emotional so we could connect. Because if you connect emotionally, you don't really care about the law. You think that's bad. You don't do that. Even it is legal, you don't do those things, okay, if you connect emotionally. So for me, it was not about data, but about, you know, humanity. But yeah, I think everybody was like a little bit afraid about what the piece would be. And then when the movie was out, things were like, all right. I understand the story. Okay, so we have to do something. And I think that's the most important thing for me. Yeah, I think it's very important to show both sides and to try to get both sides. And you made it. You work on getting Yogalgo on TV. How is the progress? Well, we've tried every door, man. I mean, we <laughs> talked to Netflix in Toronto. We had like a Danish distributor which is the biggest one here. And we try to pitch the story to a lot of people out there. We talk to national channels in Spain and uh, it's hard for them to take a stand. So they didn't want the story. Sometimes it conflicted with other materials they had. Like there was this program about hunting your own food that just launched on a platform and they said like, listen, you know, we could not do both things, you know. So it's not that we haven't tried, but it is really hard to get to national channels. Yeah. So we keep on trying if there's somebody out there, you know, with the will to help us or the opportunity, <laughs> I'm all ears. Yeah. I read also you work on making the film available on Amazon Prime Video. In some countries it worked, some are still missing. Germany is one of the missing ones. Any news about that? Yeah, we got accepted in Japan. We got accepted in the States. Spain rejected the film. I don't know why. And now the policy in Amazon has changed. And also the commission the creatives get from Amazon is so small. It's so little that sometimes it doesn't make sense to be there. And it is not a critic, you know, to Amazon particularly, but we need to really understand, you know, the power of creators, for instance, photographers who work for nature are also underpaid. I mean, we really need to understand the importance of creativity as a tool for change and as somehow the glue, because if you put story to something, you understand it better. You remember it better, but you need to create the ecosystem, you know, the habitat for the creators to grow and to earn their living. So for us, Amazon, we stayed there, I think it was like uh, six months. And I think in total we made $20 or something like that. So my idea with Yogalgo was to platform some other projects too. I mean, my dream was like, oh, this is gonna, you know, this is gonna be huge so we could make the next film. So the idea and the plan is to keep on doing films for nature because we went to the European Parliament. We know films work. So with whatever I do, I will try to platform the voices of others because I found myself being a filmmaker, but also being a producer. You know, producing a film like this one was amazing. It was a very learning and loving experience for me. We created a music label, we created a production company, we did everything that was required for this story to launch, even though we didn't find distribution. So before finishing the film, I already thought about distribution. So we talked with everyone because if you are not seen, you don't have an impact. So you really need to think about your channels, your outreach strategies. How do I put this to the world? So I have a little bit of impact here. 
And it's been thanks to, as I mentioned earlier, social media. So now it is easier for stories to come out. So my intention was like, and still is like, let's make something else. Let's make tutorials about drawing animals. Let's make tutorials about photographing animals. Let's empower photographers to volunteer their time with organizations. Let's uh, bring the story of another sighthound. I think there are like almost 30 different kinds of sighthounds. And many of them are being used today, you know, in similar ways to the Galagos. So can we help a filmmaker somewhere in the world to bring that story to us? So that was the idea. And I thought that the digital sphere was a little bit easier, but that always happens. You come up with, you know, a plan and then you bounce your head against the wall like, let me in. This is a good story. <laughs> People like it. Just put it on TV. Just put it on. And, and it is tricky. But yeah. we keep on working, man. That's what we do. Is the whole work you're describing a full-time job for you or are you in another job to earn your money? Well, my profession is being poor permanently. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm a graphic designer and I work for NGOs here in Denmark. I would like to have more clients. I have some international clients sometimes. I work for earth and nature. That's my mantra. So whenever I work, I try to get the projects that I really like. But at the moment, being a foreigner in a land with everybody is a graphic designer or a photographer or a filmmaker. You really need to reinvent yourself. So um, I do what I can. I think most people working with creative enterprises know what I'm talking about. It is a constant fight. It is very rewarding whenever it lands on its feet. But then you keep on struggling. So at the moment, I'm like, okay. I'm lucky that my wife works <laughs> and I just keep on writing, keep on doing uh, researches. I have a blog, which is moonleaks.org. Yeah, I know. Yeah, with few subscribers, I think we are around 1,600. Of course, not all of them are paying members. Then, yeah, I'm working on a clothing brand for Sidehounds as well that manufactures sustainably, which is also very difficult. I didn't know about sustainable production and it's been already six months sourcing materials and manufacturers in Portugal and designing and we're very close to actually tell the world what we're going to be putting out. Then I have like some assignments as a filmmaker here and yeah hopefully some of this works <laughs> because <laughs> it's, I'm getting old for you know uh, yeah yeah I know <laughs> for putting four years on every project. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, of course, I know moonleaks.org and I follow your work on that. And you're doing much more things for the Galgos. You were invited to speak on Greyhounds and Galgos to members of the European Parliament. What came after your appearance there? Well, that was a very important landmark, I have to say, that Europe pays attention to this and creates an inner group to research what are the possibilities and how the European Union through the European Parliament can pressure or influence Spain. That is a big thing. So I'm really, really happy to have participated in my humble position. But what came out of it was like a very well-researched and motivated letter that the European Parliament sent to the central government in Spain and the 17 regional governments there. We got some media coverage and I think this is the beginning of a new path because, uh, for instance, the bull, as in bullfighting, has been in Europe before. Europe has cut down funding to bullfighting so much that it made it difficult at a time. Now, you know, due to other reasons, you know, it's picking up in some regions of Spain again. But that is key because Europe gives money for keeping the hunting grounds, for guarding the hunting grounds. I mean, there is help coming from Europe to hunting with dogs in Spain, of course. So it is very important that the cause was there and it is the beginning and we keep on talking to them and they have an eye on the cause so that is really really important because the galgo you know 
of course, adopters have always been helping Galgos. But I think now the internationalization of the fight is being very productive. You know, now there's a sense of shame and there's some kind of pressure coming from outside. It is not only coming from inside and also the people working inside, you know, the frontliners need help, need motivation, need to know that, you know, they're doing a good job. And sometimes because of how Spain works and because how, you know, this is communicated on the main media, we don't really understand what these people are doing. So I think it is a very, very new phase for this cause. And I hope it brings results. This podcast episode started with reading out the letter that you mentioned There is a new draft law for animal welfare in Spain. It makes hope growing. And I think there are some points from the letter made it in this draft. But on the other side, the hunting lobby is trying to exclude hunting dogs from this new Animal Welfare Act. And they build up a lot of pressure. What do you think about the draft and the public process now is going on? All right, the draft, I'm hopeful. I mean, for the first time, I'm seeing a text that's modern, that reflects on what people think out on the street. It is just a draft. So I expect a lot of modifications and a lot of pressure coming from the hunting lobby. But it comes with a lot of good things. Honestly, I was like very happy reading the draft. But you know, when a creature is in danger, it becomes dangerous. And I think we are seeing the final moments of life of hunting as we know it in Spain. So now they're really, really making an extra effort to gain some of that influence back. And we've seen how populism works in politics. We've seen The United States, you know, we've seen it in many places, in Brazil, in Italy, in many other places. And now hunting has become this unifier for some in rural areas. So they are really trying to make two sides in this story. And I also see a lot of contradiction within Spanish laws. For instance, this law will be above other laws that are going to be drafted soon. For instance, there's another law that relates with the management of the uh, hunting grounds and the species that they contain, that it is a product of the Middle Ages. So on one hand, we have like a general animal law that's a little bit more modern, at least its intentions. And then at the same time, they're trying to push another law, which gives a lot of exemptions to hunters that considers hunting dogs not as worth protecting as pets, even though they might be the same breed. I mean, there are a lot of differences in these texts that are being drafted at the moment. So I'm a bit skeptic here. What do you think will happen when they split in hunting dogs and pets? It's the worst case for galgos, isn't it? It will be a horrible scenario. It would be like, okay, we protect these breeds or any dog if you have it at home like a pet. But if you use the dog, then you can treat it like, like an object without any protection. And if you're a hunter, you can breed. But if you're not a hunter, you cannot have five dogs without a special zoologic unit license or something like that. The translation is quite different. But if you have more than five animals, you need a special permit. But if you're a hunter, you don't. So there are a lot of examples in which we see a distinction to make the activity easy. They are lowering the cost of hunting licenses in some places down to 95% of its previous price, almost giving them for free. So I don't really, you know, understand the coherence in all this. Either you protect a species or you don't, but you don't make this distinction. I mean, it makes no sense. So it would be very bad. I mean, not only for Galgos, for every hunting dog. Also Realas, for instance. I mean, they will be 
unprotected too. And they could breed realas, which is this group of hunting dogs for major hunts without any regulation almost. You started a call via social media to write an email to the Spanish Ministry of Agriculture to protest against the changes the hunting lobby is trying to push through. Did you get any feedback how much males arrived or how the protest is perceived? The thing is that, for instance, in Denmark, if you protest, if you want to bring a comment to a law, you have a digital platform that's transparent. People could actually see what other people think about things. You could track how many protests there's been. So we have to work with what we have. And in this case, there's just an email. So we don't really know how many emails they got. Are they going to be opening the email? Are they going to reply? So we created a template on moonlix.org so people could just copy and paste and add whatever they wanted, uh, objecting some of the points of this law which relate with dogs. But there are other points that we disagree with and we will be you know, publishing something soon. So it becomes easier because we don't really have any guideline about how to protest. The law says that we should be informed about our petition being received. Each one should have a number, a registering number. So that's also what we put in the text. We demanded from the agricultural ministry to give us at least the recognition that they got our email. So let's see what happens. But again, this is not the best way to protest. And we should also talk about that. Not only the content of the law or the content of our comments, but the way in which we do things. So it is more transparent. So um, yeah, that's my main concern because every letter the European Parliament sent, I was in copy. And we got only four replies of all, and they were pretty standard and they really didn't say much. So I'm a little bit tired, you know, of people mobilizing and informing themselves. I mean, is this participation? So I think we should also think about what kind of role people outside Spain have in all this. Do I have an opinion about whales being hunted? Do I have an opinion about pandas? Do I have an opinion about galgos if I live abroad? Of course I do. Of course I should. I mean, if you're within the European Union, do I agree that part of my taxes are being given to hunting in a country which values I disagree with in relation with uh, animal welfare? So all this is very important. So people were asking us, should I send it from abroad? And that's not even described in the rules here. We don't know it if it counts. If you're living in Germany or France, we don't know if your email will count. I think you need to have like an ID that's recognized in Spain, but we don't really know what happens if you're living abroad. So all this should be addressed quickly. Yeah, but I think whether it counts or not, it will be registered. That are many, many, I hope so, many, many emails coming in from abroad. And I hope instantly that this makes something Absolutely. And in fact, we have had this going on for years, especially for the past 40 years. So we are unable from within our own borders in Spain to change it. So it is clear to me that we need help. It is clear to me that we need international support. So all this noise, I think it is very welcome because sometimes it is just the shame from outside that forces things to change. So if we are within the European structure, we should obey European standards. And Spain is the only country that uses hunting with dogs in the open field as the only tool, right? It is forbidden everywhere else. So we should really think, do we want to be within the umbrella of the EU or not? So we need to be coherent here. Absolutely. 
You're saying that the help from abroad is very important. Is there a change of thinking in the Spanish population or a growing awareness of the fate of the Galgos? Because I heard there is a big blind spot in the society with that topic. I think everybody is more aware now. I think a lot of more people know about it. A lot of more people protest on the streets. There are marches every year that grow in numbers. I understand also that, you know, with COVID and the many crises that Spain has, protesting about this might not be within the priorities of many people. Even though they might agree, you know, with the fight, they might not always go out. So that is why we need like some other tools to manifest our opinion, you know, that are of this era, that are digital, that you can actually say, I don't agree with this because you could always create a petition But a petition, it's not that efficient. And then you give your data to third parties that are not always, you know, the most trusted companions. So it should be possible from within the institutions to say, I don't like this. And I don't need to be in the street every time because I look at Spain. I mean, there are a lot of things to protest about there. So, yeah, I think we need to renovate the ways in which we communicate, you know, with the public and we make their voices count. I think that is key. And now that I'm abroad, I really see that's possible. It is not that hard. Because one thing is to change society. I mean, one thing is to change habits. That takes time. But to implement a technical solution so people actually, you know, act on what they think, that doesn't take 10 years. Would you say it's easier to fight for the dogs abroad or from inside of Spain? Well, each country has its own fights and we all need to fight wherever we are. And if you have an opinion about some animal being unjustly hurt somewhere, just do something, that's for sure. What I mean is that in Spain sometimes bureaucracy and lack of will prevents us from actually having the possibility to give our opinion. You know, because as we were saying before, in this case, we have an email that we can send, but we don't have an understanding about the size of these protests, the effectiveness of these protests. Is there any comment, any addition to the law coming from citizens that might work? Because this is a creative process. It's not that you create the law and then you present it to the public like something already finished. You present it to the public so the law gets better. It is improved by the opinions of people. So if we don't know about those opinions, maybe someone sent an email with a fantastic idea, but we don't know. So what I mean is that, of course, fight whatever you are, but we need to talk about how to make fights more efficient. We talked about the film, for instance. I mean, I could be helping dogs every day, but from what I know, I think the most effective thing I could do was to make a movie. So we also need to think about how to make things a little bit more efficient. Because, okay, you send the email and you feel great and then the email is never opened. What happens then? So we really need to take that conversation For now, it is what we have, so we do what we can, but we really need to talk about how to be more effective. I don't know, maybe it is just wishful thinking, but uh, there are other ways of doing it that is not just one email. There should be guidelines like, okay, you have to include this information. I mean, we had to talk to lawyers, like, do we need to include like the full address or the ID or how do you phrase my protest? There should be like a form, you fill it, And boom, you send it. And there's a counter. And there's like, you don't public any private information, but you public the comments. You public the additions. Or maybe you could even vote people's comments up. So, okay, among the 100,000 comments we got, these are the three really nice things that could be added to the law. So it's sometimes a little bit, you know, annoying that we are limiting, you know, people's chances to participate. It's a little bit of this is democracy, but it's not transparent. Exactly. Maybe something happens. We don't know. 
Yeah. That is the frustrating part of it. You should know before you send an email what will come next. That, in my eyes, is transparency. With transparency comes accountability. If I don't know anything about this process, how can I understand if my opinion was even, you know, accounted for or read or, I mean, yeah, <laughs> I don't want to be mad here. It's too early to be mad, but, but hey, it's a technical implementation. It is not changing people's minds. It is bringing a tool. Probably you don't even need to program it. If other countries are doing, you know, other things, just ask for help. Yeah, absolutely. On Instagram, I read a post of you about the tragical fate of Galga Duna. Duna was a rescued dog adopted in Spain. Her owners were at an open space where it is allowed to let dogs run free and did a training with Duna. Then a stranger put the Galga in his car and drove away. Duna had the GPS with her, so the owners could track her and found the girl hanging in a barn owned by the stranger that took Duna away. Sharing this story in the internet causes a huge outcry. There's anger, speechlessness and rage against this man. It put a highlight on what cruelty is done to the Galgos. This guy should be punished by law, but I guess rage against this man isn't the best way to canalize the strong feelings and will not help the movement against hunting with dogs in Spain. But it created a huge awareness. What's your opinion to the case of Duna? Is there a chance to put this in something positive for the fight against hunting with dogs in Spain? Yeah, I think these cases, if it wasn't for social media, we would not know about them. And what goes on with animals in a lot of places, not only in Spain, it is really, really bad. But we don't know about it. And it is not only about dogs, okay? There are abandoned horses and, uh, I mean... The meat industry is just one example of us not knowing what happens, you know, behind those walls. So I think these stories help us understand the level of cruelty that we have against animals. Some of these practices have been going on for a while. For instance, we found a graveyard that had been used for 20 years to discard galgos. And it was layer after layer after layer of dogs dead there. And it was out in the open. It was close to a motorbike field. So, you know, sometimes these things are known. And among Galgueros, I'm sure people know who discards his dogs and how. I mean, we need to talk more. I understand that people get really, really enraged when these things happen. And we need exemplary penalties. I mean, it has to mean something to be caught doing this with this cold blood. I mean, it took him like such a little time to do this. It was almost rehearsed. I mean, how can someone do this? Because if you're a Galguero who steals a dog, probably you want to try it out, sell it. I mean, that happens every day, but this was like straightforward insanity. So I think we need more exemplary cases that incentivize others to do things like this. Yeah, this was a shocking story. In October 2021, so last October, I visited FBM in Sevilla as a volunteer. It was very impressive and I will return for sure. Since we adopted our Galgo Jasper in 2018, I'm diving deeper and deeper into animal welfare, get connected with other animal welfare activists. And if you want to support animal welfare organizations, you can do volunteering, donating, adopting, sharing dogs on social media, being a foster home. But a question I often hear is, what more can we do from abroad? Is there something that could help to really improve the situation of the hunting dogs? What would be your answer on that? Yeah, well, I think adopting is one of the most effective and wonderful things because each adopted dog becomes an ambassador and the story goes, you know, further with each case. And I've seen people just converting people here 
in Denmark. From, you know, liking to becoming this, you know, very active person against hunting with dogs in Spain. So adopting, talking about it, sharing, being informed about what are the steps. Can I send an email? Should I sign a petition? Can I donate my skills as a web developer to this organization? I don't know. There are many things and projects that constantly pop up that relate with stories that need funds. Again, I mean, I think podcasting, filmmaking, photography, they could all be fantastic tools to make people aware. Maybe there's a podcast in India of a little guy, you know, going after some cause over there who could benefit from a very little amount of money to bring that story to the world. And I don't know, I think perseverance. If you have a cause close to your heart, stick to it. I mean, every cause needs time. So find your cause and become an expert. Talk about it because we need to persevere. I think spreading the word and telling the world the story of the hunting dogs in Spain is very important. And you have to keep it on because there are so many people that don't know about this and we should keep the wheel turning. Absolutely. I think the most important thing to do is to teach the children about living with the dogs and that animals are sentient beings. And that's very important because I think you will not change the Galgeros. They are mostly old men and it could not be the solution to forbid something. Is it right? I agree. I think education is key here. In fact, if you look at what some administrations in Spain are trying to do, they want to bring hunting to the schools as if it was football or gymnastics. Why? Because they understand that they need a replacement. That if it is not because of the money coming from the European Union, hunting has its days counted. And it might be a generation away, because if you don't indoctrinate new comers, when this generation's gone, hunting will not be attractive. Who wants to be hunting out there? But I agree with you. The dog could be the window towards the animal bond. For a lot of people, the only connection or the strongest connection with nature is through their pets. And how good does nature make us feel? It's great. Just have a walk in the forest. In Japan, they prescribe walks in the forest if you're depressed. Or they even created seal-like robots for elderly homes so people take care of someone to get better. They tried with dogs. It is a wonderful medicine to have an animal close by. That's why I started the film. You know, my mental health is better since I live with animals. So of course, of course, that window towards the animal connection is key to care for the planet. Because you found something that's common in a different species. So that gives us perspective. For instance, growing up with dogs, I love my kids that play so much with dogs. They have to agree with someone that's not like them. That doesn't look like them. That's from another species. Is that your space? Should I share my sofa with you? Could we go out for a walk? Do I have to feed you? Do we play now? There's no language there. So I think being with dogs opened us up hugely. And then we care for something that's not us. So education, absolutely. Communication, absolutely. We need to make more films about this. Entertainment that comes with stories. I mean, if we tell our kids stories about foxes and elephants in the books we read to them and then we promote hunting, what kind of heroes are we going to be having in our stories? Dad, you're killing my heroes. I mean, if we have kids telling their grandpas or parents, don't go hunting, Dad. You're killing my hero. My daughter wanted to be vegetarian age three, and I was like, oh my God, do I have the skills in the kitchen to provide with everything she needs? So it came with a challenge, but I really respect that. And it wasn't us putting that idea. But if you live with dogs, you don't want to eat your friends. So, you know, coming up with stories that are more on the positive side, 
For instance, in Moonlakes, we had a podcast with Cheryl and how she uses dogs in hospitals and in prisons in wonderful ways. So, you know, being more of a storyteller, I guess, is something we should all do. Tell the stories that are good. You know, connect with the story and bring stories to your life that have animals as protagonists because we need to have those references, you know. Yeah. For instance, here in Denmark, they sing a lot. And a lot of the songs are about hunting. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> okay. I don't want that hero in my singing, okay? So those stories, they have to go. We need other kind of stories. Absolutely. So what's your wish for the future? Um, this is a very important question and a difficult one because we all have many. But I think my journal wish is to think twice about what we do and to put our wallet where our mouth is because it is very easy to vilify a Galguero. But do we really do something for improving the general picture. And I'm not gonna tell anybody here what to do because everybody does a little bit, but maybe we could do more. Maybe we could eat less meat or no meat at all, or recycle a little bit more, bring an animal to your city, to your home. I think in general, my wish would be, let's think a little bit more because we don't have much time. I'm talking to teenagers now And I am interviewing them about the anxiety they have, not only because they don't know what kind of work they will be having, but because they don't know what kind of world they will be living in. Dad, you're stealing my world. It's going to be hot, especially in Spain. People are moving to different countries because there's no water. I mean, we're going to really face the unimaginable quite sooner than what we think. So now it is time to tell those stories and take action, of course. So, you know, I understand the anger in social media and, and I understand all that. But my wish would be, let's just try to do a little bit more and demand that our companies do also a little bit more. Of course, our governments. But, you know, you can vote from your fridge, what there is in your fridge. You can vote in the supermarket, you can vote in the mall, you can vote in your village, you can vote with your wallet every time you act on things. And I am far from being perfect. I mean, I struggle with a lot of stuff, but at least being in that learning curve, you know, we need to be on board that learning curve because 10 years ago, we thought everything was forever. And now we understand that Even though science was telling us that everything wasn't forever 30 years ago, now we really see that it's coming. So, yeah, that's a bit of a long answer to your question. But, yeah, that's what I have. But that's an important one. Thank you. So I think we are at the end. Amazing. Thank you very much. Maybe I, I hope I didn't, I didn't run around too much. It's been great. Thank you very much for your time, Jodai. Thank you very much, Christoph. It's been a true pleasure being here and I hope we talk again. And thank you to your listeners also to care. I wish you all the best for your upcoming projects. We are very excited to see what's coming up with your Sighthound clothing. And I will further follow your work on moonleaks.org. Thank you very much. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. That was my talk to Jedi Lopez Portillo. And I'm very honored by having him on my podcast. Jarai is such an important voice for the Galgos. If you haven't done yet, please watch the film Your Galgo. It is an impressive and award-winning documentary film about the fate of the Galgos and the hunting dogs in Spain. This interview was made on January 25th in 2022. Check out the show notes for links to Jarai's platform moonleaks.org. There you will find all information about Yogalgo, Jedi's podcast series and many other projects. Feel free to leave a comment at the episode's post on Instagram. Search for Galgo FM. On Instagram you will also find Jaspers Abenteuer. That's the spot where my wife Anja shows the steering life of our Galgo Jasper. And you can send me an email if you have any questions about the podcast, Galgos or my interview partners. The address is podcast at creton.de. You'll find it in the show notes too. 
The letter from the European Parliament was read by Hilary Merkel. And Hilary is also guiding me through language difficulties I sometimes struggle with. Thanks for listening and hear you next time. Thank you.